But I'm glad to be here. We're going to be looking at the practicals of discipleship uh, in youth ministry. There's a lot to be said regarding this topic, and I'm probably just going to scratch the surface of it. I am by no means uh, an expert or anything like that. I'm quite humbled that uh, Cameron and the team would actually ask me to speak. I'm just, I'm just a youth pastor. I'm just a guy laboring like y'all. Uh, trying to disciple young people, and um, I, I love the Lord Jesus, and I love students, and I'm glad that the Lord has put that call in my life. We're going to be looking at just four points you can see on the outline that I gave you, and the first one is just the need for personal discipleship. The second point, the purpose of discipleship. Third point, priorities of discipleship, and the fourth point, the practicalities of of discipleship. I kept trying to put in practicals and um, spell check kept screwing that all up. So practicalities of discipleship. I try to stick with four P's and make it, you know, easy to understand. But let me open our time in prayer and uh, and then we'll get into uh, into this topic some more. Father God, we come before you humbly. God, we ask that you uh, will bless our time here this afternoon. God, you have called each one of us uh, by your goodness and grace into a relationship with you. God, we're so thankful for your love and your mercy in our own individual lives. We thank you, God, that you have called us to minister to young people. We pray, God, that you will give us the power to do so. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be upon us as we minister to these students. God, so many of us probably in this building are just struggling, we're tired, we're worn out, we're burned out. God, maybe some of us are doing really well. God, regardless of where we are, help us. God, help us to draw near to you. God, help us to grow in our own need for you. God, help us to grow as disciples. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's often said that most churches and ministries do not grow beyond the spiritual health of their pastor or church leaders. Now, I'm sure there are exceptions, but by and large, our students will grow If we are growing, they will be stagnant and apathetic if we're stagnant and apathetic. The truth is we cannot disciple others if we are not growing as disciples. So as we begin any conversation about the discipleship of students, we must first examine our own hearts and ask ourselves the tough question, am I growing as a disciple of Jesus? We've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest with with Jesus. Am I growing as a disciple? Now, that probably seems like an elementary question, but it's essential. It keeps our own hearts and minds honest, and even more, it keeps us focused on Christ. It keeps us focused on Him. There's a danger for all of us. I did it probably for years early on in ministry for all of us to pour into the lives of others and neglect 
our own personal discipleship. We do it. We do. And if we're honest, we'll admit that. This can so easily occur if we begin to take ourselves too seriously, right? Or if we become bored with the gospel. Either way, it's difficult to grow disciples if we're not seeing our own need for Jesus. We need him daily. We need him moment by moment, even as Francis Schaeffer says, in our lives and in our ministries. Moment by moment, we need Jesus to grow as a disciple. We need to be growing in this personal discipleship. As Paul David Tripp said in his book, Dangerous Calling, I'm sure some of y'all may have read it, when you've forgotten who you are, when you assign to yourself more maturity than you actually have, and when you think you are more capable than you really are, you leave yourself little reason to seek the ongoing help of your Savior. If we are not seeking the ongoing help of Jesus, we will not grow disciples. We, we won't. A disciple is a learner, a lifelong learner of Jesus. And we need to be growing and learning more and more about Jesus. Yes, theologically, yes, biblically, but even experientially. And if we're not growing as disciples of Jesus, pursuing holiness in him, then we can't expect our students to. Borrowing from the words of Robert Murray McShane, it's on the outline, but our students' greatest need is our personal holiness. If we're growing in Christ and we're seeking holiness in Him, it will be contagious. And our students will actually believe what we're speaking to them and what we're pouring into their lives if we are living and speaking and serving with conviction that we believe this. Our guarding and growing of our hearts is essential for us to perform the daily tasks of ministering and discipling to young people. So that's why Paul would say to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and, you know, and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul David Tripp again says the private nurture of your own heart as a pastor or a youth pastor is not only a humble confession of need and a confession of your own love for your Savior, it is also a statement of your love for the people that God has placed in your care. That's incredibly true and accurate. The condition of our hearts, whether we are growing as disciples or not, will directly impact and shape whether or not we are effectively discipling students. So where are our hearts? Where are our own hearts? We need to fight against growing cold. We need to constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves. I say that constantly to our students. You need to be preaching the gospel to yourself. You need to see your sin but then you also need to see the love and grace of God. We need to be doing that ourselves. We need to be reading and studying Scripture, obviously. We need to be having personal devotions, praying. We need to be reading. I read lots of dead guys. My staff 
make fun of me. They call people like Martin Lloyd-Jones and Francis Schaeffer, they call them my man crushes. And, and that's true. Those guys feed my soul and they keep me honest. But just as young people need us speaking into their lives, we need others speaking in our lives. We need people discipling us and pouring in us. So for us, who, who is that? You know, if somebody were to ask you, who is discipling you? Who would, who would come to your mind? I mean, here's this quote of this fellow, John Thornton, who was a wealthy merchant. And he's a friend of Charles Simeon. And he said to Simeon early on in his ministry, I love this quote. Watch continually over your own spirit and do all in love. We must grow downwards in humility to soar heavenward. I should recommend your having a watchful eye over yourself. For generally speaking, as is the minister, so are the people. John Thornton said some pretty hard things there. I mean, they were good, but they're like, hey, Charles, you're awesome and all, but, but you got to humble yourself. Where, where you are is where your people will be. Do we have people discipling us, saying the hard things, pointing us back to the gospel? Part of discipleship as well as putting forth a godly example to students. Paul told Timothy, set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love in faith and in purity. Alistair Begg in a book on pastoring has a, a great section in his book about those five things for pastors. We can't call students to live in such a way that we're not ourselves living. If we teach that the gospel changes lives, then our lives by God's grace should be changed too. Look what Richard Baxter says. I believe it's on your outline. We are the nurses of Christ's little ones. If we forbear taking food ourselves, we shall famish them. It will soon be visible in their leanness and dull discharge of their several duties. If we let our love decline, we are not likely to raise up theirs. I saw this practically several years ago. We had this class of seniors at Mitchell Road who we had spent probably five years pouring into their lives. And here they come as seniors. We're coming out of the summer. They're, they're just ready to go. And the school year starts, and they got what we affectionately call at Mitchell Road senior swag, right? I mean, maybe you all know what I'm talking about. A lot of our students hit their senior year, and they think they own the place and that they are God's gift. They don't want to serve anymore. They don't want to love anymore. They don't want to care anymore. And I got so embittered towards them. And I got so much where I was becoming so self-righteous, and I was becoming so sinful towards them that I didn't even want to disciple them anymore. And my heart grew cold, and thankfully, by God's grace, after a few weeks, maybe longer, my pride and self-righteousness was made known to me. And it was incredibly humbling. So here I was throwing stones at these kids that didn't need that. They needed, they needed me to love them and to point them to Christ, not point them to some sort of law. I was growing cold. I was growing apathetic. And they were seeing that. And I wasn't responding well to them. 
I love what John Piper says in one of his sermons, and he's, he's preaching to, to youth pastors. He said, if I grow cold, my people will grow cold, and then I'll resort to cute things, right? And then he says to these youth pastors, you know what the cute things are. You know, we start acting and behaving in ways that we wouldn't otherwise, pointing them to something else rather than Christ, right? Well, as I've grown in my relationship with Jesus over the years, the more and more I've come to the realization that discipleship is relational. It is relational. Now that, again, may seem like a trivial statement, kind of a, well, duh, kind of statement, but it's one of those things that I think we throw out as youth pastors. Our, our ministry is relational, but, but maybe it's not. Maybe we're still leaning on programs. Well, very early on in ministry, I was schooled in the necessity of relational ministry. I, I knew that's what I had to do and what I was about. But at the same time, I was buying into the idea that if I just had the specific program, if I just had the right curriculum, or if I just had the right teaching series or the right amount of money, I'll make disciples. So I knew relationships mattered, but I still thought if I just had this, disciples will be made. And all of those things are great. They're, they're helpful tools. They're awesome. But what is essential is relationships. Relational ministry or incarnational ministry, is, it's a buzzword. It's been around now for a little while. We're so quick to run to it when we're explaining our ministries. But is intentional relational ministry happening in our churches? Is it what we're truly about? Getting in the lives of young people. Are students being discipled by us or by other leaders in our ministries? Relational ministry should drive our interaction with students. It should drive our discipleship with students. A few years ago, it's probably two or three years ago, we were interviewing a candidate to come on to our youth ministry staff at Mitchell Road, and the candidate asked Brooke, who's one of our staff members, she said, um, can you kind of help me understand a little bit more your philosophy of ministry, which I'll get to here in a minute. And Brooke's response was this, we believe strongly in relational ministry. If it was up to Darren, we'd cancel all of our programs and just be with students, talking with them, encouraging them, challenging them, and pressing the gospel into their lives. And the girl is kind of like, really? And there is some truth to that, honestly. I don't stress over programs anymore like I used to. I, I stress over people. I stress over our students that are struggling with eating disorders that are struggling with pornography and masturbation. I stress over that. I don't care about the program anymore. And I'm sure you all know what I mean by that. My concern is for the students. I don't worry about numbers. My concern is do they have a relationship with Jesus? And are they growing in that relationship? Steve Shadrach in his book, The Fuel and the Flame, He's writing to college ministry folks. But this one quote kind of stood out as I was processing through this stuff more and more. 
He says, if you want to see your campus ablaze for Christ, purpose-driven, love-filled relationships will have to permeate your life and ministry. Why? Because discipleship is a combination of direction and affection. For so long, for me, I focused on the direction and not enough on the affection, not enough on the relationships. We can't simply say we're about relational ministry. We actually have to be about those relationships. We have to be about them, being in these students' lives. So constantly examining our hearts, as I asked just even a few minutes ago, are we making disciples? Are we relational? That's, that's what Jesus has put before us, right? He, he commands us, he calls us to make disciples. Now, no doubt when all of us went into youth ministry, that was our dream, that was our picture. We want to see kids' lives changed for Christ. And somewhere along the way, sometimes it gets off track because of all the duties and the programs and everything else. But if we're to examine Jesus' primary method of ministry, it was largely spent, not in large groups and programs and doing things, but in smaller meetings with his disciples and his eventual followers. Jesus made a handful of disciples, y'all know this, and then they went and made disciples. Jesus calls us to do the same, but the demands of ministry, programming, staff meetings, other responsibilities often fill up our time and, and the relationships suffer, right? But relationships matter to Jesus. They should matter to us. He shows us how to effectively disciple others by initiating, identifying, and invading the lives of those that the Father put before him. That's, that's the purpose of discipleship, is to initiate with people, to identify with them, identify their needs, identify where they are, and then invade their lives with the gospel. That's what Jesus did. Those three things should be about our relationships. I constantly have that running through my mind as I'm meeting with a student. Initiate, identify, invade. Initiate, identify, invade. And it, it's, it's not a program. It's Jesus. Discipleship starts with initiation. Jesus initiated relationships with people. This is foundational to relational ministry. It's foundational to effective discipleship. We see countless accounts in the Gospels, right? Jesus is initiating with people. Initiates with the woman at the well. Initiates with the disciples. Initiates with Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Just the first five verses. He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature so he ran ahead and climbed up the sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way and when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Jesus initiated. Jesus initiated 
with Zacchaeus. Jesus initiated with each one of us. And he calls us to initiate with the students in our ministries, asking them questions, developing a relationship with them. Making disciples begins with initiation. Jesus just didn't initiate with people. He also identified with them. And you can see that in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 2. In his incarnation, he identifies with people. The writer of Hebrews said of Jesus, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus identified with man through his ministry by becoming one of us in his humanity, identifying with us in every way, yet he was without sin, right? In his ministry, he identified with us in every respect through being tempted, feeling alone, serving, loving, convicting those he ministered to. We need to take the time to get to know the students that we disciple so we're able to identify with them. Recently, there was a a student uh, who's in college now and struggled some with depression. And uh, I have a little bit. And she was struggling, saying, I, I, just, I just don't know if, if I can take this medication anymore. And a way for me to identify was, <laughs> it'll be okay. I, I'm, I've been on medication, <laughs> and it's helped me tremendously to pull me out of that depression. Now, you need to do some other things too, but, but that's a way we can identify with people, is sharing where we've been and how we've grown through that. Jesus identified with people. He identified with us. We do the same. Identifying with students that we're ministering to. We need to take the time to get to know them. We're called a disciple. Identifying them with, with them as much as we are able. And one of the beautiful things about Jesus is that he invades lives. He initiates, right? He identifies, but he's not content with leaving people where they are. He invades their lives. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. So in Luke chapter 8, Jesus arrived in the Gerasenes, right? And when he arrives on the land, he's come across on a boat. There's a man there possessed by demons, right? And he runs up to Jesus. And after a brief conversation with a demon named Legion, Jesus casts out the demon, sends it into some pigs. We always focus on the crazy pigs running off a cliff. Kind of forget about the man. But Jesus Jesus heals the man. Then people went out to see what had happened, Luke says. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. I love that. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. The man from whom the demons had gone begged, that he might be with him. That's Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus invaded the lives of those 
he came into contact with. He invaded their lives with the gospel. And the truth is, he invaded our hearts. He changed us. That's, that's why we're here. We want students to know how we've been changed. And while we can't penetrate the heart of a student, nonetheless, we're called to labor, to put the free offer of the gospel before them, to show them the sinfulness of sin and the love and saving power of the gospel. That's an essential part. I I tell our interns that we have that come and serve with us in the summer, listen, you could go anywhere and hang out with kids all summer. What makes being in youth ministry and, and doing relational ministry different is you have an opportunity to put the gospel into a student's lives. I don't want you to come here this summer and just be friends with kids. That's great. If you have no gospel-centered conversations all summer, you failed. And that might seem like a hard thing to say to some, you know, 19, 20-year-old kid, but it's the truth. They're called to make disciples just as we are and to take the gospel and invade these kids' lives. Well, with these three eyes of relational ministry, we find that people mattered to Jesus. They mattered. He initiated, he identified, and he invaded their lives. People mattered. Relationships mattered to Jesus. Students matter to Jesus. His method of ministry and discipleship was in the context of relationship. And he calls us to make discipleship too, following his lead, being relational. So as we initiate and identify in the lives of young people, we're constantly evaluating their spiritual need. I mean, I'm sure we do that. We have conversations with students and we're trying to gauge where they are. Do they know Jesus? Are they growing in their relationship with him? I know for myself, too often, I was shooting at a moving target when it came to discipleship. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing sometimes. We need to have a greater understanding of where they are spiritually. Obviously, getting to know them and being in their lives, that's, that's intentional relational ministry. So if you were to open John 15, and I'll, I'll read a little bit here. Jesus identifies three commitments. He's talking about discipleship in John 15, and he identifies three commitments that his followers exhibit. And these commitments could actually be looked at as three priorities of discipleship. So as we initiate and identify in the lives of young people that's being relational, doing relational ministry, we should be asking ourselves, are they growing as a disciple? Am I growing as a disciple? And these three priorities of discipleship provide us with a biblical framework to connect relationally with students and even to design our programming to meet their spiritual needs. And I'll get to that in a moment. The first priority of discipleship is the commitment to the Christ, is commitment to Christ. Have the students made a commitment to Jesus and are they following him? Having a commitment to Christ is students connecting to Jesus. It is about growing in and understanding who He is 
and how He provides salvation and hope and restoration to all of life. Do our students know Jesus? Are they committed to Him? I have the whole passage here, but I'm only going to read a few verses, so I have no idea what the heck verse I'm reading. But Jesus says, Abide in Me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. It's essential as a Christian to be committed to Christ. It's the first priority discipleship. Do we have a relationship with Jesus? Do our students have a relationship with Jesus? Do they know Him? The second priority of discipleship is the commitment to the body of Christ. If the student has made a commitment to Jesus, are they growing in and loving other believers as Christ has loved them? Commitment to the body of Christ is the student connecting with other believers. It is being about the community of faith and investing in the lives of others. Again, Jesus says, this is, I think, John 15, 12 to 17, maybe. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may, be give, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Are students committed to the body of Christ? Finally, the last priority is, of discipleship is the commitment to the work of Christ in the world. As they're following Jesus, connected with other believers, are they growing in their commitment to serve the Lord? Commitment to the work of Christ is connecting to serving Jesus. It is being missional. It's being intentional about loving and serving locally and globally. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And Jesus goes on. Are they committed to the work of Christ in the world? Those are the three priorities of discipleship that we focus on, that Jesus focuses on. And if our students get that, if, they, if our students walk away and they get being committed to Christ, it's a win. I, we celebrate it. Awesome. But again, so, so often in youth ministry, we're, we're trying to shoot this moving target and we expect our kids to get everything. They're just not. They're not. They're sinners. They're broken. But if they get, I need to be committed to Christ, it's a win. It's, it's a huge win when we're being faithful to that, 
when we're pointing them to Christ, they get all three, goodness gracious, we, we celebrate. I'm dancing in the streets if they understand all of that. Commitment to Christ, commitment to the body of Christ, commitment to the work of Christ in the world. We have students that will go off to college and, and they know, I love Jesus. And, and I, I, when I get to college, I'm going to be committed to a church and I know I need to get into a small group. They get it. They know they need Jesus and they know they need the body of Christ. That's a win. When my students, when our students write back to us and say, I'm connected to a small group at Clemson Prez. I'm connected to an FCA small group. I'm like, praise the Lord. They got it. They got it. They know what it means to be committed to the body of Christ. And programs and tools are essential for relational ministry or they're helpful tools for relational ministry. But we should never put our programs above people. I did that for years in youth ministry. Constantly focusing too much time on the program and not enough time on the student. And we cannot effectively disciple students unless we are relationally connected to them. If we place an emphasis on programs over people, even if it's inadvertently, our, effect, our efforts to effectively disciple students will be limited and possibly ineffective. So what I'm going to do for a few minutes, so talked about initiating, identifying, invading the lives of students, and then these three commitments. I think Jesus gives us a, a pretty clear picture of the three commitments. I think they're throughout the Word. But what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and this is our philosophy of ministry, not only in our youth ministry, but also in our larger church. So what does this look like programmatically? This maybe is where the, the practical side comes into it. When, when I came to Mitchell Road seven and a half years ago, we had programs everywhere in the youth ministry. We're going to Atlanta to see a Hawks game. Well, what's the purpose of it? I don't know, that's just what we've always done. We do a mystery trip to, to Nashville and we spend $5,000. Well, why do we do that? I don't know. It's just what we've always done. That's crazy. What, we're about discipling students. We're about focusing on getting them to know Jesus. So here's what it looks like for us. Within all of our programs, we're about those three eyes, initiating, identifying, and invading the lives of young people. Our ministry, I hope, by God's grace, is relational. And all of our programming has to fit into that. If it's not relational, if it is not moving students, then we don't do it. it it's, it's done. Mystery trip, peace out. It's five grand that we don't need to be spending. That's crazy. So commitment to Christ. That's our large groups, basically. Whatever you want to call them, youth group. Our focus on a Wednesday night to our junior high students and to our fifth and sixth grade students is we want you to know Jesus. That's it. That's our focus on Sunday night with our senior high kids. We want you to know Jesus. Then we have a junior high trip where that's the focus, and we have a senior high ski trip. That's the focus. Commitment to Christ. And that's what we push. Now, yeah, relationships happen and the body of Christ happens, but our intention for those two things, 
those large group times and those two trips is will these students know Jesus? Will they walk away from these things knowing Christ? Being committed to Him. Commitment to the body of Christ. Sunday school. Wish this wasn't being taped. I'm not a fan of Sunday school. Um, anyhow, I can go on a tangent on that. But the commit, commitment to the body of Christ is basically Sunday school, small groups, where you're taking students and you're trying to get them in smaller groups to see that they need one another. They need to be talking through things. They need the body of Christ. One of the things that we added a few years ago, and I don't like adding programs, but this one I was glad to add, was we added, when we brought one of our staff people on, she said, I, we, really need, we really need time to pray with students. And uh, I was like, well, great. When are we going to do that? I mean, they got soccer. they got this, that, and the other thing. Their schedules are just crazy. She said, let's do it in the morning. I said, you're crazy. And she said, no, let's do it on Tuesday morning. We'll do it at 6.15, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what the Lord does. Every Tuesday morning, we have a thing we call TMP, affectionately. Hashtag TMP. Tuesday morning prayer. We'll have 75 kids that show up at 6.15 in the morning just to pray. That's it. There's no program. It is student-led, and it is them praying for themselves and praying for their schools. Now, I would say, and I, I, I don't say this in any sort of craziness or whatever, <laughs> If our senior pastor, Andy Lewis, came to me and said, Darren, you need to cancel every program, but you're only allowed to keep one, I would keep Tuesday morning prayer without a shadow of a doubt because it is showing our students we need to be praying together. And, and we're growing as a body just praying together. And it's awesome. I've, we have two students, Rachel and Stephen, who are leading it this year, and they're awesome. And they're seeing the needs of other people, and, and they're getting people to pray. It's great commitment to the body of Christ and then commitment to the work of Christ obviously mission trips probably all of us do those in town service projects one of the things that we do at, at Mitchell Road and it's we've, we've increased it by year and every year making it more intentional uh, making it harder I guess is we have high school leaders that serve in our junior high program. And when we first started this several years ago, we had like one or two kids. And now we have 25 high school kids that are serving in our junior high program. And it is incremental building. You know, we had one or two, then we had four, then we had six, and then it, it just grows. But the cool thing is, is the kids that we have now are impacted by all those high school leaders before them. So now we're multiplying disciples, we're multiplying leaders, which is awesome. That is students understanding a commitment to the work of Christ and them understanding these high school students, I need to serve. These students before me served me. They got it. And now I'm going to try to show these junior high kids what it means to serve. Commitment to the work of Christ. Now, one of the things that we do, I hate saying that, it sounds whatever, but I was meeting with a guy recently and he said, Darren, 
you've been doing youth ministry for a while. How do you keep up with all these students? And I, I said, I can't. Um, I just can't. And one of the things I learned a long time ago, because someone shared it to me when I was stressed out and I was ready to lose my mind, he said, you need to have a contact group. And I said, what do you, what's a contact group? And he's like, Darren, it's really hard to do relational ministry if you don't have a focus and you don't know who you're focusing on. And he said, here's the deal. If you focus your time and your energy on 12 students, just like Jesus did, you focus on 12 students this year, he said, you'll be amazed at how much your ministry will change. And then he said, even still, you focus on 12 students, and then out of that 12, three students that you're really going to be intentional about. You're going to text them. You're going to write to them. You're really going to like get in their lives with them. He said, you'll be amazed at what God does. And sure enough, I was. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this works. I'm a lot more at peace. My initial reaction, and I was sharing this with someone uh, several months ago, my initial reaction, though, when he told me that was, I'm going to let so many people down. The reality was I was letting everyone down before, <laughs> trying to be somebody or something to everybody. Now I'm focusing on 12 students. I'm still being relational with everyone. I'm not neglecting any student, but I'm focused on these 12. I'm focused on these three. So every fall, you know, we sit down as a youth ministry team and we say, okay, next week or two weeks from now, you're going to come with your contact group. We're not going to tell anybody who they are because that's bad. You want to like lock up your contact group, like seriously. But we say, okay, in two weeks, we're going to come as together as a staff and we're going to share our contact group. You know, so between however many of us, all of these students are being reached that weren't before because we were aiming at this nebulous target. So we do that with our summer interns as well. And, and we have, we're blessed. I've, I, we had seven summer interns this past summer. And um, that took a lot of years of fighting for that. Uh, but these su- seven interns were basically focusing on between 12 and 15 students all summer. And they get their contact group. We tell them to lock it up. Their phone, the kids' phone numbers are on there, um, background info on the kids. And these summer interns just get in the lives of these 12 to 15 kids. Invaluable. And it pays incredible dividends as you go into the school year. If you can, my first year there, we had, I think, two interns. If you can just get one intern at your church, even somebody to volunteer. I'm, I'll write the best recommendation for you you could possibly imagine if you just serve for me as an intern. Uh, interns are just hugely valuable um, for you in ministry and, and assigning them a contact group that they can go out and do what you do. And they gain a greater understanding of what it means to initiate, identify, and invade the lives of young people. Several years ago, it was at the Gospel Coalition. It was uh, in Chicago. And uh, I remember Phil Riken, uh he was talking about a friend of his who was at a smaller church in Philadelphia. And Phil Riken said, I emulate this guy so much. He said, this guy has made a commitment 
that in however many years that this guy is able to minister, he wants to see 20 pastors grow up out of his church. And I was like, wow. Like, that that's huge. And the guy is apparently getting there. And I'm like, I need to have more of a focus and a desire for that to see more young people coming out of our church, going into ministry, and and being disciples, rather than trying to hit this target of them getting everything. And it's really helped us as a staff, it's really helped us as a youth ministry to focus, initiate, identify, and invade. We do that. We do that faithfully for the glory of Jesus. Those three commitments will fall into place because that's what Jesus is about. Commitment to Him, commitment to His body, and commitment to His work. And that happens as we minister and minister effectively. So I I hope um, that that's encouraging. I hope it's helpful. Um, and I guess um, we can take some questions if you all have any. Um, I know I can talk fast sometimes, but I also don't want to keep you. But if you have any questions, I'd be glad to, to answer them. Yes, sir. How often do you meet with your team of leaders who are discipling students? Um, we get together with our small group leaders about once every two or three months. After church, we have a lunch with them and just kind of check in, see how they're doing. And um, and then with our high school leaders, um, we get together with them. We meet with them about every week after the junior high meeting. And it's short, about 20 minutes. So right now what we're doing with them is um, we took um, Francis Chan's book, Multiply. Basically, we just skim that and we just pull things out of there. And then we just regurgitate that back to those junior high leaders. The whole point of that book, Multiply, if you haven't seen it, is to make disciples. So um, that's what we're trying to do even with those high school leaders. Um, so we get together with them every other, every week or so, and then with the adults every two months or so, three months. So, yes, sir. With the adult leaders who you assign a contact groups to, what kind of uh, weekly time commitment do you set out for them? Well, with the the adult leaders, they'll have just their con- their small groups, so that's kind of their their focus. Um, with the junior high leaders, um, they don't necessarily have contact groups. Um, we'll do that probably in the second semester. We'll assign each high school kid a handful of students that they're to target, um, and then the interns in the summer. Um, you know, they'll have between 12 and 15. Now, our, our other adult volunteers, which we don't have a ton, I'm sure we struggle at Mitchell Road just like all of y'all do getting volunteer leaders. It's like pulling teeth sometimes. Um, we just don't have very many that are coming on a Sunday night wanting to love on kids or a Wednesday night. And I, I, wish, I wish we did. It's one of my biggest, like, pains, you know. But, yeah. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. How, does, how do you deal with apathy in the students? Uh, I preach the gospel. Apathy towards God. And like yeah. maybe they're cool hanging out with you, but they don't want to talk about the Lord. 
I preach the gospel to myself a lot. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, pride will set in with me and self-righteousness and um, why don't you get it kind of thing. I've been, I've been spoon-feeding you for four years and I just want to strangle you, you know. Um, seriously, I preach the gospel to myself a lot. Wine to my wife. I feel sorry for her. Uh, I, I try, by God's grace, just to be patient. And just and to understand, and I think I know for me, I forget sometimes my own journey. I didn't become a believer till I was 18, and I was probably pretty nominal at that point, and was still messing around in all kind of sin there for quite a while. And I think sometimes, if I just remember that, I have a lot more compassion and a lot a lot more love for them. I think reading folks like um, Paul Miller, Praying Life, uh, Love Walked Among Us. I think sometimes reading things like that can kind of help us to have a little bit more. I mean, at the end of the day, what what we do is we place ourselves on a pedestal above them rather than taking the gospel to them. But man, it's real. Like that that time we had with those senior students, um, man, that, that probably that school year was one of the hardest years I've ever had in, in youth ministry because we had this huge group of seniors that they were about as apathetic and had a, as much senior swag as you could possibly imagine. Um, and I think once I honestly preached the gospel to myself, uh, I was way more loving and compassionate towards them. And I saw them as sinners in need of Christ just like I am.